Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Well, good morning, everybody. And welcome to Vision Sunday. And so September is uh, the beginning of our ministry year. Now, we have a calendar year like everyone else does, and we have a fiscal year, which is different from the calendar year, and we have a ministry year, which is also different from the other two, because that's not at all confusing. Um, And so this is the beginning of the year if we are talking about the ministry year. And so around this time, every year, uh, we take a Sunday to reflect a little bit about where we have been and what's been going on in our spiritual family here, in our church, as well as the broader community, and to reflect a little bit on what is to come and where we're heading. And so uh, we do this as a way of just making certain uh, that we are visiting some of these exceptionally important ideas uh, and trying to connect a little bit more intentionally uh, with the needs that are here in the spiritual family as well as in the broader community. And by doing that, hoping that we will become a much more effective uh, group of people, a church, in order to do what God has for us. And so as I've been reflecting on what we would be talking about here on Vision Sunday, I kept coming back to the picture of like, like a weary and, and tired and parched people who were looking for a season of refreshing. And, and the, the image of like an oasis just kept coming back, uh, back to me time and again. And, uh, you know, I don't know maybe, you know, maybe it's because of all the extreme temperatures that we've been hearing about and water restrictions and don't water your lawn. Maybe it's got me thinking about, you know, all of these sorts of things. But it feels to me like an apt metaphor for what a whole lot of people are feeling right now on the inside. It's like, it's like we've been on, on long, dreary journeys. And we just, if we could just, just get a drink, just a little bit of refreshment, just a break, a respite of some sort. So, you know, we talked, we prayed about for our teachers. Researchers tell us that 60% of our teachers have expressed that they are overwhelmed. Many teachers who have previously loved their careers are for the first time considering changing careers because it's just been too much for them. The Journal for the American Medical Association says that there has been a 21% increase in behavioral problems with our kids. Just over the last couple of years, marriages are struggling, according to the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. They reported that nearly one-third of marriages have gotten worse over the last two years. Employees are struggling at whole new levels. 75% of workers report feeling burned out. Now, before the pandemic, just 5% of workers said that their mental health was poor or very poor. That is now 18% percent who are struggling with mental health issues. They're told, we're told that depression is currently costing the U.S. industries 51 billion in lost productivity and absenteeism. Something is going on. 
Pastors, of course, are not immune. Christianity Today recently reported that upwards of 40% of pastors are considering packing it in and leaving the ministry. 40% of small business owners say that they're frustrated or stressed out by the current state of the American workforce. Half of them have experienced employee ghosting. And if you feel like you're running on fumes, you are not alone. Three out of five U.S. adults report that they feel more tired now than they have ever been. So I thought about us just having a nap day. Like, just that's it. We're going to turn the lights out. Jen's going to come out and play some lullabies for us. And we're just going to, like, crash. You'd be like, I had such a great morning at church today. <laughs> we won't even tell the kids what's going on. We'll just, you know. We... But, uh, yeah, so, like, yeah, three out of five U.S. adults, 58% of the respondents said that they feel unfocused or disjointed, with 55% saying that no amount of rest helps them feel refreshed. No amount. See, it's something more than just squeaking one more nap into the schedule. Something different is going on. People are experiencing these poor sleep cycles. Sales of melatonin have doubled in two years. It's like an $800 million industry. Could you have imagined seeing that coming and invested in melatonin? Anyway, lots, it seems, are tired, worn out from too many months of stress or anxiety or uncertainty or all of the above. Now, I've heard it personally from many of you. I had uh, one of you told me, I, I, just, I just need a vacation. And then someone who had just gotten back from vacation, you know what they said? They need a vacation from their vacation. And so like, even that doesn't help us. So what if you got the second vacation? What would it do? Would you come back from the second vacation and be like, now I'm refreshed? Or would you be like, now I need two vacations for my last two vacations? You see, it's like, it's like a bottomless spiral down. Not sure that is actually the plan. Another person here told me that it was a mom. They said that from, from what everything she can tell, her kids... They're not ready for school. Not the normal not ready. Something different. Something deeper not ready. They're just not ready to go back. I was told by some of you that the students that they have worked with have a sense of dread as the new year starts. Not all of them, of course, but enough that, it take, that people take notice. I also hear that some of you are quiet quitting your virtual gigs because you're struggling to get out of your pajamas. So we should be talking about that at, at least at some point as well. Now, I hear things like this from so many of you, and I know, I know what you're thinking. Right now you're thinking, I've got to be really careful telling Robert anything <laughs> because I might end up as a sermon illustration. Now, that might be true, but I generally change, change the names. Um, and a couple details. Although Danny recently told me, where's Danny? You, he said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, so like, we're, like, we're like weary travelers and, and we're looking for a few palm trees and a little bit of refreshing water in the desert. Now here's the beautiful thing about God's word is it takes 
all of these incredibly difficult life experiences and it addresses them in all different sorts of ways and all different sorts of texts. And God's word turns around and it makes these grand promises to us that we get to hold on to that can guide us as we seek to be refreshed. Why do we want to be refreshed? Because then we also can be refreshers. We're going to see that all here today in Psalm 107. That's the psalm we're looking at, and it gives us these, five, these four life experiences that are common to humanity that pound us down. So the very first of these life experiences, life experience number one, is the parched wanderer. Psalm 107 starts, and it says, For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. And so he's obviously saying, listen, if you're an exile, later a wanderer, if you're a hurting person out there, God is gathering you up from the four corners of the globe, the north, south, east, west. But, but there's also something very cool that's sort of, uh, that's sort of hidden in here. Now, almost every single translation will, will translate it like this, east, west, north-south, because it's very unusual in its construction in the original language. He says east and west, but then he switches gears. He does say north, but this word here is the sea, and you'll see that in some of your footnotes of your Bibles. This is actually, he says, from the, the north and from the sea, which is curious because it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why would you do that? It's obviously north-south, east-west. Like, why would, you, why would you throw the sea in there? It doesn't really fit, except that there's scholars who point out that when, when the nation of Israel speaks about the north, it means something. It's an ominous place because they live here on the coast of the Mediterranean. And this is called the Fertile Crescent. And so here in the desert, nobody comes across the desert to attack the nation of Israel. What they do is they follow the rivers. They follow the Fertile Crescent and so if you're Assyria or if you're Babylon, if you're even the Philistines, you, could, you will attack from the north. Even Rome later, who's all the way up here, comes down through the north. And so God will frequently reference the nations of the north that are coming in to bring judgment, distress, heartache onto the people of Israel. And so if you take it not as a simple directional Reference, you're getting your first hint here as to what God is about to do in this psalm. He's saying, listen, there are enemies out there and they are always coming for you. And they are always threatening you. And now the sea makes sense because, of course, the sea for the Israelites is not on the south. The sea is actually here, the Mediterranean, or even in here, the Dead Sea. And so what is that talking about? Because for the Israelites, they would be thinking here as the direction but if you're talking about the enemies from the north, then you're talking about the chaos of the waters. Remember last week we talked a little bit about it with Justin? The, when, when God's spirit moves over the, the surface of the deep, the surface of the waters, he's taming the chaos. The ancient Near Eastern religions looked to the sea as the place of, of tumult, of chaos, of disorder. And so what, what's going on here is I think the psalmist in a very poetic way is saying, listen, we're going to go out as far east and as far west and we're going to gather up all of these exiles. And it doesn't matter. Those who are facing the enemies of the north and those who are finding the pain and the tumult of the chaos of the sea, the Yom, if they're seeing that, then they're going to be gathered up. And when they get gathered up, 
Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty because of the enemies and because of the chaotic nature of their lives, of their circumstances, of their nation, of their situations. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried. I think that's worth us practicing. Let's give that a good one. Ready? Lord, help. Two words. We're going to hear it again and again. Let's do it better than that, though, because it's a cry to him. Ready? Lord, help. That is the antidote. And when a person cries out, Lord, help, he rescued them. He rescued them. This is such a beautiful promise that we will see again and again. Lord, help. He says, for he, he led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. That's a theme we're going to come back to. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let's make that your prayer right now. Let's do that together. Ready? Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty, fills the hungry with good things. So these folks had wandered. They were, there was no more path for them. Did they travel too far off the path? Did they lose the path? Enemies disrupted their journeys. The chaos hid the path from them. And so many were feeling disconnected, homeless, exiles with no home, lost, hungry, thirsty. I deal with uh, occasional bouts of wanderlust, so I spend some time looking at like RVs and camping and all of this and like camper vans. And so every once in a while where I'm dealing with a little bit of wanderlust, I... I'll, I'll be like scrolling through these things. And so um, there was a, during these, some of the political upheavals over the last couple of years, I had a, a couple of very, very difficult meetings with some, some dear friends and we were at odds and it was very, very uh, emotionally draining and painful stuff. One of them was like a six or seven hour meeting. And uh, afterwards I called my wife, I was leaving the parking lot over here from our offices. And as I'm driving out, I called Cheryl and she goes, how did it go? And I was like, oh, I gave that sigh. And she's like, uh-oh. I said, yeah, I think I'm going to go for a drive. And uh, she was like, oh, okay, like, um, where are you going? And I was like, I'm, I'm thinking Mexico. <laughs> like Baja, a beach, just poof, gone. Like, hey, what happened to Robert? He left that meeting and poof, that was it. To feel like wandering because running away seems like it might work, hiding in our social media or isolating ourselves behind our suburban fortress walls. My friends, this is not the answer. It isn't the answer. We need a new city, a new city, a new home. And so they cry out, Lord, help. Now, this year, we're going to continue literally feeding the hungry. We've got a great food pantry and food pantry team, and they're working with a whole lot of other churches and things like that. And so we're also going to continue to help the lost, the spiritually lost. So we're going to continue to reach out and, and to do whatever we can to, to connect with people who are far from God. And so we'll continue all of those kinds of things in this upcoming year. And here on Sundays, we're going we're gonna to continue to create a place that people can call home. 
where a wanderer or somebody who's overwhelmed, who's hungry or thirsty for something can come and find refreshment. That's what we are, are becoming and will continue to become. And so we're going to look at some worship and some prayer times as a family that we get to gather together to call out to God to seek his refreshment and during our worship times, we want to remember, we want to sing about God's wonderful deeds, right? We want, to, we, want to re- we want to praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for us. And so we're going to continue to enhance and create a worshipful environment where we can center ourselves back on our great God. And we're also retooling some of the things that we measure here at the church. And we'll go over these later for those at the congregational meeting, but in order to make our church even more deeply relational, the things that we measure, the metrics that we use for uh, gauging whether or not we're on track, uh, we're going to be looking at retooling some of these things to get our congregation even more personally connected to each other than we have even been in the past. And so we may even try our hand at some other things. Maybe we've been talking about some retreats or things to give people an experience of rest in the midst of chaos and and things like that. We're also very excited because we're participating in uh, creating a little oasis for pastors. And so uh, Josh Moody out at Three Village Church and uh, me, uh, we're going to be leading a cohort of about a dozen pastors throughout the whole island from from Nassau and Suffolk. And we're going to be together working at creating this, this little oasis where the pastors can find some encouragement and, and a little oasis of their own in the midst of these tumultuous times so that they can be strengthened so that they might continue to strengthen others. The second life experience is what we could call the enslaved sinner. The psalm continues and he says, Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That's why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them. What'd they say? Lord, help. They cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. You hear that refrain coming back again and again, for he broke down their prison gates of bronze and cut apart their bars of iron. So this group got into trouble different from the first group, whose enemies and whose the, the, the chaos of the world was overwhelming them and disjointing them. This group got there because of their own sin. They got there through rebellion. They scorned the council. And when I read this section, I think of sin, especially with its parallels to addiction. Because sin is sin's like a drug, right? It's, we're, we're always needing a more potent hit. And then when we get the hit, it gives us less and less of a reward. So we need an even more potent hit. Until eventually, we're just pursuing the high, the hit, with very, very little of the reward that we were first pursuing it. I think that makes our enemy the most happy when he can give nothing in exchange for destroying ourselves. And when you think of the bronze and the iron, they use language like that because it just shows the impossibility of escape, the impossibility of it, how it just seems like there is no hope. 
And, you know, we look around and we see that we are eating ourselves into sickness and we're drinking ourselves into oblivion and we're self-medicating with every type of distraction and, and you know, we're handing out, you know, prescriptions like, like a Pez dispenser might and, and, and we're just seeing these, these trends just overwhelming so many lives and families. It's, it's darkness. It's gloom. It feels like imprisonment. See, that's, see, that's what it feels like, not when you're battling sin. That, that's what it feels. Darkness, gloom, imprisonment, that's what it feels like when you have already lost. You know, the battle feels noble. I'm in a position of strength and I'm doing battle. That's not what this feels like. And if you've ever been there, you know the difference. So listen, if, if you're here this morning and you're a screw-up, I got great news for you. I got great news for you. If you feel defeated by sin, awesome. Awesome. Because you're in some really, really good company. And this promise is for you, and there's a whole lot of screw-ups here. Just like me waiting for you to come home. And we too get to cry out. We get to, we get to make that promise, right? And so if you're one of those people, you get to say, Lord, help. I think, you know, when you're overwhelmed by life, when it's your enemies from the north or it's the chaos of the world, somehow it's easier. You feel like a victim. You are. It feels easier to cry out for help when you're a victim, but when you have brought it on yourself, when your own sin, when your own rebellion, when your own weaknesses have gotten you to the place that you are, it's harder to cry out. You feel like you deserve it. You feel like anything that bad that happens to me now is my own doing. So I should just take my beating, take my lumps. It's a horrible place to be trapped in. And the great news is when we screw up, we get to cry out, Lord, help. And so this year, we're going to work with our small groups and we're going to be increasingly trying to give people safe places where they can share their genuine struggles, where they can be supported by a, by a community that's marked by grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we get, to, we get to partner alongside and we get to come alongside and we get to support not just those victimized by the world, but those who are victimized by themselves and by sin and by the enemy doing the worst that he can do. We press in and we strengthen our networks. It's time for us to reach out. We've got to develop more of our connections with counselors and mental health professionals. And I've been wondering, maybe it's time for us to start talking about some of the, the programs like Celebrate Recovery and Grief Share and other things like that. And so this year, it's time to press in to some of these things. There is a third life experience that he talks about. And this one I'm calling the Depressed Fools. And so this is a little bit uh, rough for us. He says, some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food, and they were knocking on death's door, and they cried out, Lord, help, and he saved them. Now, this is, this is interesting because this word, fools, it is, it's used like 26 times in the Old Testament. It's all over the Proverbs. It shows up a couple times in the Prophets, this is the only time it shows up in the Psalms. 
And so when you see something like that, sometimes you take notice of it because you're like, that's unusual. Like, why is that showing up here? And what is this really all about? But we have to go to the rest of the scriptures to figure out what they're talking about when they say the fool. And so when we do that, when we do an overview of where this word shows up elsewhere, we find out that the fool is thick-headed. The fool is the one who makes the same mistakes over and over, refuses to listen to godly advice, quick to anger, using harsh words, won't be taught when a friend comes alongside and offers a correction or a rebuke. The fool knows better than everyone else. They manage their finances and their household poorly. It's usually those who think they know better than God. That's who the fool is. They live by their own rules or by the values of the world rather than by God's world, by God's word. But this particular group of fools also seems to be wrestling with some sort of depression, to, to lose the desire to eat the appetite, to be on death's door. So something is going on here. And maybe it's the foolishness of their lives or their poor decisions or their obsession with the values of the world. And it has brought them to a point of mental and emotional exhaustion. My very first year in uh, pastoral ministry, I was doing a counseling session. I was young. I was a kid. And uh, this older couple came to talk to me. And I had all sorts of great ideas for them. They should listen to me because, you know, I, I know stuff. And so, um, and so uh, they did. They came in. And uh, she was long wanting um, the, this conversation because the husband was just, he had, his whole life was kind of a wreck. And so he had no friends. There was nothing going on spiritually. Uh, their marriage was in shambles. His relationship to his kids, it was like, you know, touch and go. It was tenuous at best. And she was like, you know, we'd met a couple times. She's like, we got to get him in. We got to get him straightened out. We got it. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like, you know, I can do this. And so uh, they, they, they came in and uh, we started talking. It ends up the guy works six days a week, 12 hours a day, almost every single week. And when he doesn't do that, he adds a seventh day. And so this is a brutal schedule. This is one of the few that legitimately is working those 70, 80-hour weeks. Like most people say it, but they're not really. This guy really doing it. Like this was rough. He was out of the house the whole time. He was an instructor, and he had to, had to take all these appointments and shifts and back and forth. And, and so I said, you know, because, you know, I know stuff. So I said, hey, so um, I can fix all these problems for you. Because that doesn't sound arrogant. And uh, I said, I can fix all these problems for you. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I said, just give me 10 hours a week to spend. You know, and I'll, if you do it, if you spend those 10 hours the way I ask you to spend them, all of these things will get better. I'll give you a daily devotional time. You'll do some reading and some prayer. That'll get you kick-started. You'll be at church every single Sunday. You'll, we'll, we'll get you a date with night with your wife. We'll get you into a small group, and you'll make some real friends. And we'll, we'll just piece all these things together. I can do the whole thing. 10 hours. And he was, he just like the wind got out of his sails. He was just like, I just can't. I'm like, well, I mean, you can't yeah. or you won't, you know, cause I'm very compassionate. And so he said, he said, uh, he said, uh, I, no, I, I can't. And I was like, well, I mean, what do you mean you can't? He's like, I mean, I, we, we can barely pay for the mortgage now. And so like, I'm just up against it. And I said, well then sell the house. Are you upside down on the mortgage? He's like, no, we're not upside down on the mortgage. I'm like, sell the house, buy a cheaper house, move to a cheaper neighborhood. And the wife jumps in and she goes, oh, no, we can't do that. I was like, what? Wait, what do you mean we can't do that? And she was like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, why? She's like, because of the 
the schools. We've got to have the kids in the district. It's the only way to guarantee their success. And I said, success like this? So she wanted everything changed, but nothing changed. And I was like, this is what happens when we live by the values of the world. We become fools. We move away from God's word. So this year, my friends, we need the scriptures. You know, we don't offer the discipleship classes and the small groups that interact with the message each week and figure out how to apply it. We do these things. We don't do it just for nothing. We do it because we know that this will form a basis of wisdom for you. You can even see it, right? When, when, when you're in this text, he says, he, he sent his word and healed them. That's how it is we're going to become wise instead of fools. we got to drill down. we got to know the word. we got to spend time every day reading it, praying about it, applying it to our lives, applying it together in community, learning the wisdom of God so that we don't become fools in this world. Life experience number four is the overwhelmed workers. This is a fun little text he goes on, he says, some went off to the sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. The ship, their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths, and the sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. And they cried, Lord, help. And he saved them. And what I really love about this group is that these were like the titans of industry. They had literally braved the, the waters. They had braved the chaos. And so if there were ever a, a put-together group of people, right, the first group and the fourth group here, those life experiences, they were doing, they were, this wasn't them. This wasn't the sin issues. Number two and number three, they were the sin issues. But this one and the first one, they, these were the people, they, they act, this group actually had it together. Out of everyone, this group had it together. But it was God who spoke to the waters. Because you know what happens when you're a titan of industry, when you got it all figured out, when you've been able to carve an, a living out of the chaos, using the chaos itself, the waters that they took their ships upon, and you carved out a living for yourself, it is very easy for you to forget about your dependence on your creator. It's very easy for you to move away and start thinking, we got this. And God says, you ain't got nothing. In fact, you continue down this road. You might be doing good things and you might be accomplishing great things, but if you're trying to do this without me, then you're only accomplishing things for this time in this life. Where's the value in that? And so God, he stirs up the waters and he humbles them. God, he speaks to the winds, he stirs up the waves but they too get to cry out, Lord, help. And in that moment of humility, God comes in and he rescues them. It says that he calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things that he has done for them. You, it's hard for those of us who know the New Testament not to see in this the moment in the life of Jesus when he was on the ship with his disciples and, and the storm is raging around them and he's just sleeping, he's crashed out and the disciples are like, we're gonna die, the storm. And Jesus is like, ah, gets up, wakes up, rebukes the storm, rebukes them. And he's like, come on guys, I got this. 
the disciples cried out to the Lord. And we find in that moment that the Lord that we're crying out to is actually our Savior. It's Christ who on the cross absorbed the chaos and the storm and the imprisonment and the deepest, darkest gloom so that we would not have to. So that we, he can break the chains because he wore the chains. And they were meant for us. And he took it and he becomes the Lord we cry out to. And so the psalmist ends with this bold and this hopeful promise. It says that he turns deserts into pools of water, the dry land into springs of water. He's creating an oasis there in the midst of the desert. And he says he brings the hungry to settle there and to build their city. So we're back to the idea of a city. So what, what God is saying, what Jesus is going to do for us, is that here in the midst of the desert, where, where we think we're going to just, we need a little oasis, we need a little break, we need a few palm trees, and he's like, no, 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 we're going bigger than that. We're going to rise out of that. We're going we're to pull out of the desert sands and out of the harshness and out of the brutality, we are going to pull a city out of this land that will become a shelter and a home for countless people. What an incredible promise that he gives to us. He's saying, I am going to make this place a home for those who are the homeless, a place to eat and enjoy the great feast that God offers for the hungry and the thirsty. And I'm going to do all of this in the midst of the desert, the least likely place. I'm going to bring out a restorative and refreshing city for a world that so desperately needs it. You know, we look at a passage like this. And I say, you know, this is, this is why we want you to be renewed. This is why this whole year we're going to be looking for ways to get you refreshed and renewed. Not simply so you can say, Wow, I feel this is so much better. That's great. That's what we need. We want to be, be that place of restorative, deep soul care and refreshment. And then you know what happens? It's just, like, it's just like the song that Jen introduced to us today. The psalmist starts with it. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has he saved you? Has he refreshed you? Has he overcome the chaos? And Have you learned to trust him in the midst of the tumult? And if you have done that, then speak out. And when you do that, when you speak out, when you tell the story of what Jesus has done for you and what he's doing here in our midst, when we become that city that has been pulled out of the desert then countless other exiles, countless other homeless, countless other hungry and thirsty and sinners who are overwhelmed and in bondage will come and find freedom and redemption here in our midst. And that, my friends, is what we, the church, get to do here in our community with our neighbors, with our friends, with your coworkers. This is what we get to do and this is what we get to be. And may God give us all that we need every day that we might become these refreshed people who can offer that refreshment to others. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we are praying for this group, for these people, for this time, that we, Father, might become more and more, more and more, Lord, who you have us to be in this world. Refresh us now. Let us cry out to you time and again. Lord, help 
Let us grow in our dependence so that many, many others may find refreshment through us in you, right here, as you pull this city of refreshment out of harsh sands. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.